lesson so far with John Bevere's Debate of Satan. And as I was praying this week about what God wanted me to share this morning, uh, he, had, he had given me the story of Joseph. Joseph is, is my favorite story in the Bible. Um, there's a lot to be learned from that story. It's pretty lengthy. Um, it takes up just about almost the whole half of the, cha- half of the book of Genesis. And, um, it's, but it's so much to be learned there. And uh, so as, I was, uh, <clears throat> as God was giving me that word and giving that message this week, I had also looked at our Bible study. And this morning, John Bevere talked about Joseph too. Some things that, uh, so I was like, well, I don't want you to think that I was copying off of John Bevere. But uh, it's God's word and we know it'll never return void, correct? So, but t- this week, we see our nation in turmoil um, on both sides of the fence. Uh, we know that the government in New York has signed into law that it is okay to abort a child up until almost term, the day of, the day before. And if any of you have known anything about having a child, and most of you do, you know what that child's growth is. You know where that child is at that point in time. And there are a lot of scientific views on uh, whenever, uh, when, when does life actually begin to exist in the womb? I think that life exists as soon as that, that seed is planted. As soon as that egg is fertilized, I believe life exists. I believe, li- I believe that life existed before it was even planted. Because God says in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I, cons- I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, he was spe- uh, speaking specifically to Jeremiah. But if he knew Jeremiah before, in- before he was in the womb, and he consecrated him before he was born, then that means he's done that for all of us. Because Jeremiah was a human being just like you and I. He just had a specific purpose in God's kingdom. So we want to think about those things. So if you, if you believe in the word of God and you believe what he's telling Jeremiah as far as knowing us before we were in the womb, then we know that our life was in play before the seed was planted. So some people will say, no, it's about 12 weeks before the heartbeat or uh, any signs of life. Well, you know, science is not always correct. Because we, we serve a supernatural God who can do whatever he wants to do. Just like when we see God in the beginning talking about forming Adam and Eve. And he says we need to make man in our own image. God had already had a plan. God had already known what Adam and Eve were going to do. He knew how long they were going to live. He knew everything about them. He knew every thought they were going to take. Every decision they were going to make. And if we believe that about our supernatural God, then we should believe that life exists before we are even in the womb. We can even see where uh, Mary visits Elizabeth, and we talked about this before Christmas, how, her, how John leaped in her womb in the presence of another fetus, who was Jesus. So we have two unborn babies, Elizabeth and Mary, and John, Elizabeth's child, is leaping in her womb. So you tell me there are no signs of life. You tell me that it's okay to take that life before it is born. Some people will say yes. Some people will say it's a choice. 
Some people say it's my body. I get to do whatever I want to do with it. Maybe so. But they forget that there's another body existing inside of them that belongs to God. They forget that they belong to God, which is probably why they make those decisions. But I don't want to I don't want to wait. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I think we needed to address this as a church to so to 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 come to an agreement about where we stand on this topic so that if we're ever questioned about this as a church, as a as a body of Christ, then we can know we know where we stand and we stand right here with the word of God. In Psalms 139, it says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. We know that scriptures God breathes. So we know that everything that is spoken in God's word, we know that comes from God. And David is just repeating what God has given him in his heart. New York signed into that law that babies can be aborted up to one minute before birth. Let that sink in for just a minute. I know what my child and my children looked like when they were born. I was there. I saw it. I cut their cord. I can't imagine what it would be like to make a decision to take that, that life away. I'm not going to get into the severity of abortion and what it takes to abort a child because it's, it's disgusting. It's foul. You can go look it up on your own. If, if God's word doesn't change your mind, go look it up on your own. I think we can agree that abortion at any term of pregnancy is wrong and in God's, and in God's eyes considered murder. There are many reasons people might, you know, give to justify abortions, but we know that the creation of every human being has been orchestrated by God. Then no matter the reason, it's still murder and it's a sin against God. Church, I hope you stand with me on this matter. I hope you stand with me on this matter. There are there are alternatives to abortion. Adoption is the main one. So today I want to talk about an un, a, 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 a botched murder, so to speak, for lack of better words, a botched murder and an adoption, an unplanned adoption, right from the scripture. Joseph, we've all heard the story of how he was sold by his brothers and became the leader of Egypt. But do we know what it took for him to get to that point in life? Things had to happen. They weren't always exactly what he planned. So let's go to Genesis chapter 37. If you go ahead and turn there, we're going to start in verse 12. Today I'm going to read a lot because I believe God's word is firm in this. And I believe there's a lot to learn from God's word. And I don't want to give you too much of my opinion today. I want you to see exactly what God is saying. So Genesis chapter 37, verses 12 through 36. As you turn in there. Chapter 37, verses 12 through 36. But before that, I want you to understand where we get to. 
Well, how we get to this point? The title of this passage is Joseph is sold by his brothers. And I want to to kind of recap from the beginning of 37. I don't want to read the whole thing. But remember, Joseph being the youngest child of Jacob, who was also called Israel, uh, was given a coat of many colors by his father because he was very favored by his father. And he had a dream. We can all recount the dream where there were, and if I go back to the, uh, the verse 5, it says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have had. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. So basically because they had a very, very binding feeling with God, with the Spirit of God, so they know God spoke to them. They were able to hear God speak to them even through dreams. So they understood what Joseph was saying. That they were going to bow down to him. His stood upright and everybody else's, his brother's, had bowed down to him. So now they hated him. How is, this, how is this possible? They have taken, if you were here for Bible study, that bait of offense. They've taken it. They've taken the bait, and we're about to see where it takes them, what road it leads them down. So verse 12, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, who is Jacob, said to Joseph, Are you not your brothers pastor, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So Jacob is sending Joseph to go check on his brothers, just to make sure they're okay. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So his brother Reuben had stepped in to say, wait a minute, let's not shed blood. They were planning to murder their own brother. They were planning to murder their own brother over a dream. How many of you have been in a situation where you've had hopes and dreams And you've cast your pearls in front of swine and somebody has tried to destroy that dream for you. This is a little bit more severe. I would have to agree. 
So in verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. So now they're going to throw him in this pit to die. There's no water, no possible way to get food. They're going to leave him there to, to die a brutal death. How many of you think that it's not going to be a brutal death? He's going to go days, if not weeks, maybe months without food and water. Your body cannot survive that long without food and water. And to be able to walk away with that on your conscience, knowing your brother is in that pit. Dying. Because he had a dream. We pick up in verse 25, nonchalantly. They, then they sit down and eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah, we know Judah, where Jesus, that's the tribe Jesus originated from. That's the lineage of Jesus. I want you to pay attention to these things, folks. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Put yourself in that situation if you've been in a pit for any kind of uh, period of time with no food or water, and you know your brothers want to kill you, and they know they want to get rid of you, and then they go to bring you out. Are you going to come out calmly? Are you going to put up a fight? You know what's about to happen. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And his son and all, all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold Joseph had sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Think of the lies and deceptions that are going on right here just because Joseph had a dream. Think of the, the unwillingness to follow God's will in their life, to take the, the bait of offense and to turn against their brother to almost kill him so that they don't have to worship him or bow down to him or be under rule of him. These brothers are not thinking along the same lines as God. Can we agree, church? 
Because if they were, they would have established in their mind that this is God's will. God has spoken to our brother through a dream and we have to follow it and we're not going to get offended. Remember what David says about being offended. It is easier for a city to be against him than his own brother. Someone that walks with him and breaks bread with him. Can you imagine the thoughts running through Joseph's mind? His own brothers have deceived him. We go over to chapter 39. Just to sum up chapter 39 too, so we don't have to read the whole thing. It's pretty, pretty lengthy. You can go back and read the whole, the whole thing for yourself. But Joseph is now, he's been sold to Potiphar, a captain in the, of the guard in, in Pharaoh's army. We know that, that people with this high rank, they, they, they had uh, large houses, large flocks. They were very rich. <coughs> They had a lot of servants. So Joseph, he's impressed Potiphar. Potiphar likes because the way he thinks Joseph was a smart kid. And remember that he's still a kid. He's a smart kid. So Potiphar makes him in charge of the household. Still a slave. Not getting paid. I'm sure he gets treated a little different. So... But Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph. And she, every day she tries to trip him up and say, come lie with me. And Joseph, having the mindset of following God's will in his life and having faith in God that God is going to do what he said he's going to do, says, no, I cannot sin against God and I won't sin against your husband. Long story short, one day she asked again, she grabs his garment, his robe, and then he says no, takes off running. She still has the robe, and she cries rape. Now, Joseph finds himself in prison. Not to mention he was just a slave. And before he was, a, before he was in charge of Potiphar's house, he was a slave, probably out in the heat and in the sun, and now he, then he gets put in charge because he's smart and because God still has favor over him. Why? Because he has not taken his eyes off of God and what God has planned from a simple dream. From a simple dream. How many of us could be sold by our own family, threatened to be killed first, and then, or, and then all of a sudden we're sold into another family to be a slave. How many of us could deal with that? How many of us would have already said, God, you can't be with me because you wouldn't allow this to happen? How many of us would have said, your will be done, God. I'll stand firm on your promise. We've had this discussion already. Could you really do some of the things that were done in the Bible. Now, today's day and age, could we actually be that faithful? That's a question you're going to have to ask yourself, church. We live in a different time. 
We, in this era, have allowed so many things of the world, so many man-made creations to cloud our image of God that we're not even hearing God. And I'm not going to name them all to you. You know what they are. TV, phone, football, baseball, to name a few. The idols that we have in our own lives that we want to do so much and we want to be a part of so much, we've allowed to block our image of God. God says, there shall be no other gods but me. And when we take those idols and we block, and we, 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 we block the image of God, then we can't hear God. We're trying to hear what the TV is telling us. We something goes wrong in our life, we want to call our BFF first. If you don't know what that is, that's kid talk for best friend forever. We want to call them first and say, hey, you're not going to believe what happened. Instead of going and getting on your knees and saying, God, you're not going to believe what happened. Why don't we do that? Because God doesn't always say it's okay. He is not audible and he doesn't pat us on the back. He doesn't kneel down next to us and hug us. He doesn't say, oh, honey, you need a margarita. Let's go to La Coretta and drink a few. Help you forget about this. Just like John Bevere said this morning, he's not up there in heaven going, Jesus, oh my God, something's going wrong in Brian's life. Our plan is botched. Do we have another plan? No, because God does not change and neither does his plan for you or me. Joseph knew this. Joseph was faithful. Joseph had seen the works that God had done in his own father's life. Can we be this faithful? Jacob was brought up to an altar by his father Isaac to be slaughtered. I'm sorry, Isaac was brought up by Abraham. Abraham brings Isaac to the altar. Abraham doesn't wait around. He doesn't go to his his cousin and say, you know what God asked me to do? I don't know if I can do that. He grabs his son by the hand, makes him pick up the sticks to burn and say, come with me. And they go to the altar. He puts him on the altar, ties him up, raises the knife, and the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, you are faithful and we have provided the sacrifice for you. And there was a ram in the brush hooked up by his horns. Are we that faithful? None of us in here, in here have, have been asked to take our son to the altar. None of us in here have been sold to slavery. So why are we whining and complaining every time something goes on in our life that's not according to our plan? I'm part of the guilty party, church. I'm part of the guilty party. We all do it. Why, God? What did I do? What did I do, God? What did Joseph do to deserve this kind of treatment? He had a dream. I started my own business this year. 
And people don't like it. And they've already gotten wind of it. Now they're trying to stir the feathers. It's okay. I already know what God's plan is. Let him be. Joseph knew what God's plan was from the dream. So now he gets arrested and thrown into prison. Into prison. To speed this up a little bit and summarize to you while he's in prison, he gets confronted by two servants. One is a baker, one is a butler. And, and they both have dreams. And, 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 and he interprets their dreams for them. The, the baker gets killed and the, and the butler survives. And he gets uh, reconciled from jail. And he's, and he's now serving uh, Pharaoh again. And then Pharaoh starts having dreams. And he don't know what to say about it. And all his little witch doctors and everybody else that he has that are supposed to tell him what's going on can't figure it out. And the butler says, hold on a minute. I know this guy. He interpreted my dream and it came true. So they bring up Joseph out of jail and he interprets these, uh, these dreams about famines, about seven years of, of, of good harvest, and then there's going to be a seven-year famine. And all this came to pass and Pharaoh appoints him to be second in charge of all Egypt. And then what happens during the famine? Everybody's starving. But you know, they stockpile during the harvest. The harvest was great. So Egypt, Joseph told Pharaoh, we need to stockpile food. Because when the famine hits, we're going to be able to feed our people. So guess who's, guess what, what people were starving along with everybody else in the famine? Joseph's father and his brothers. Who needed food? They did. And Jacob says, here, take this money and go to Egypt and buy us food. Now, they hadn't seen Joseph in 20 years. So they didn't recognize him. He was probably dressed all up in his Egyptian garb, his jewelry, probably a little makeup. I think the Egyptians even shaved their head back in the day if they were leaders. So they didn't recognize their brother. But even though Joseph was in charge, second in charge of Egypt, he still never took his eyes off of God's plan. And to think about this for one second. All the things that Joseph had went through for 20 years, his family deceived him, sold into slavery, gets, gets lied on, gets put in prison, becomes second in charge of Egypt. Over 20 years, he still had the same faith in that one dream. Because then it came to pass. His brothers came to buy food and in front of him, what did they do? They bowed down because he was the ruler. But here's the big picture, church. God's time in Joseph's life was 20 years and it was a story of faith that he wrote for us to see. This is an extreme case of one person's faith based off of one dream to come to pass and we can't live through a week of trial. Some of it is because we don't trust our risen Savior. We come, we sit, we worship, we listen. We may even read, but we don't trust 
our Savior. I'm not calling you out. I'm not singling you out, church. Maybe it's not true. Maybe it doesn't apply to anyone in this room. It applies to me sometimes. I've had a habit of getting angry and asking why and inventing my frustrations before even speaking to God. Then when it's time that I realize that I should have took it to God first, now I am begging for forgiveness, Lord, that I didn't trust you in the beginning. Please forgive me and let me repent from that sin. And now here is my issue. We have to be in a Joseph mindset. If God says he's going to do something, we have to be in that mindset to trust that he will do it. God is not in the business of lying, folks. He is not going to change your mind. Is a short testimony. At 18 years old, I was sitting in the back pew of my church in Pumpkin Center, Louisiana. Our youth slash music minister got up at the podium and he said, today is my last day. I was a freshman in college. Today is my last day. I will not be back. I've got called to another church. No warning. Not to the church anyway. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not criticizing him for leaving like that. But that's what happened. I'm sitting in the back pew with all my little high school slash college buddies who were back there just because we wanted to play softball. So we had to show up. We, we got involved a little bit, but that was our little group. But we hey, if we didn't come to church. We didn't play softball. So we we packed the back. OK. But at that moment in time, when he says, I'm not coming back, conviction fell upon my heart. And I said, who's going to do his job? So I go meet with my pastor the very next day and said, hey, who's going to fill in for this guy? I was too young to lead the youth, but I could sing and I knew how to read music. Hey, I'll do that. At least I can help. Unbeknownst to me. That is when God called me into ministry. But I do my little thing for two years, get frustrated, because I didn't have a relationship with God. Get frustrated and say, you know what? I'm going to go join the military where they're going to pay me to play music. So I did. Not a day went by from the time he called me to the time I finally said, Lord, your will be done. I did, did I not feel conviction? Not a day went by that he did not convict my heart for the plan that he had had in my life. And then I still didn't do it right. I still, I still was a little, eh, I don't know. You know, I, I have these talents and gifts, God. I don't know if I should do that. You want me to do what? Preach? What? I'm a singer. I'm good at that. I don't care. I want you to preach. It's what I called you to do. So I took, I, I turned a blind eye. Conviction got even stronger. Stepped away from church. 
Two years, hadn't been to church. Praying to God every day, Lord, what do you want me to do? Tell me what you want me to do, God. All of a sudden, the phone rings. And here I am. No credit to anyone else but God. I'm not, trying to show, I'm not trying to lift my life up on a pedestal. But if I, at 18 years old, would have had the same faith that Joseph had, maybe I could have pastored this church for the last 20 years. I don't know. I didn't trust. I didn't believe. I'd only known what I'd been told and what I read. And that wasn't enough, folks. I can stand up here and preach to you for three hours every Sunday, straight from the Bible, unsugar-coated, step on your toes, make you feel good. But unless you trust and believe, you can hang it up. You can hang it up. 35 years old, I found myself in a baptism because I was on my way home from work about 10 o'clock one night asking God, why do my relationships fail? And he said, because you do not have a relationship with me. The time didn't stop. The sky didn't break open. There was no angel of the Lord. He spoke to me in my conscience and I believed it at that point in time because it was true. It was true. He was right. I didn't have a relationship with him. I read this so that other people could see me reading it. But I never believed it. I never trusted it. And I'm getting dunked with my, with my time seven-year-old daughter who had just given her life to Christ. The same day. 35 years old. It's never too late, folks. It's never too late. God had started a revolution that day. 